Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. No one can act beyond their level of consciousness. In this episode, Eckhart talks about human unconsciousness by telling the story of his father, who he says had profound anger issues. He compares his father to a volcano, often brimming over with red-hot rage. And for years, Eckhart says, he resented his father and despaired whenever he had to brace himself for the next blow-up. However, he reveals that after he experienced his awakening, he realized his father was not capable of acting differently. Eckhart states that he finally understood that his father, like so many people, suffered during childhood and was stuck in dysfunctional patterns from the past, resulting in his father's anger and an unconscious life. Once Eckhart realized this, he says he was able to accept his father unconditionally and release the expectation that his father could or should be someone else. Eckhart explains why we must refrain from labeling others because of their lack of awareness and that no person can act beyond their level of consciousness. My dad had problems with anger, huge outbursts of anger quite frequently. It was like living next to a volcano that could erupt at any moment. <laughs> and he could not help it. It was, it was impossible. There was no possibility of being different. And so these humans are run by unconscious conditioning, usually goes back to their childhood and what happened there. I know why my father was angry. I, I realized much later that it all originated in his childhood, the, the reasons why he was so angry, and also for a while, also, I felt a resentment towards that. And only when I was able to awaken out of egoic consciousness, I saw that there's nothing that he could have done differently because there wasn't enough awareness. Now, when you see that, then you don't personalize or you don't create an identity for other humans out of their unconsciousness, because in essence, that's not who they are. There's first recognition, then step one, you recognize that no human can act beyond their conditioning in the absence of awareness. If there's awareness, they can transcend their conditioning. And then they begin to become conscious of their own conditioned mental-emotional, dysfunctional mental-emotional patterns, yes. So they couldn't, they can't help it. So that's already a useful step in forgiveness, but it, it, you may not yet be able to arrive at 
and full forgiveness because of that. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Does that mean then, a question may arise in your mind, does that mean then humans are not really responsible for what they do? If they are unconscious, how are they responsible? And does that mean then that we shouldn't punish them for what they do? If they commit a crime, are they not guilty? That's an interesting question. The unconsciousness that operates in human, even if you are able to forgive a human, and we'll, come, we'll go more fully into that in a minute, even if you are able to forgive a human for their transgressions or whatever they did, and even though the human is not responsible for their unconsciousness, and yet it is built into the structure of human life, they still need to suffer the consequences of their unconsciousness. You can forgive a human being, but if a human being has done terrible things to you or to others, you can forgive them, we'll go more deeply into that. This does not release them from suffering the consequences of their unconsciousness at some point. And usually humans who are violent often also meet violent ends. So, and this is karmic law, to suffer the consequences of your, unco your unconsciousness is the law of karmic retribution. If you cannot forgive, you become part of the chain of karma, and there's no end to it. On a certain level, it is useful because unconscious humans become conscious eventually through suffering the consequences of their unconsciousness. In that sense, they are responsible, or only in that sense. So I have to repeat that because it's quite important. <laughs> the possibility is there for the unconscious human to awaken by suffering the consequences of their unconsciousness. And in some cases, the consequences of their unconsciousness means prison, for example. And then the, the state becomes the arm of karma, of karmic retribution. In some cases, it's that, but the consequences, there could be other consequences of their unconsciousness. So, yes, on the one hand, you can say they are not responsible, but they still have to suffer. And that is how humans awaken, through suffering the consequences of their own unconsciousness, which brings about suffering. And through the suffering, 
that was brought about by their unconsciousness, they awaken. And that is also happening on a huge world scale here. If we engage in warfare, humans create enormous amount of suffering for other humans out of others' unconsciousness. Another word for unconsciousness is utter and complete stupidity. on every level. 20 years in Afghanistan, trillions and trillions of dollars, many, many dead, suffering, disruption. Then they leave, no, nothing has changed. Iraq, Ukraine, and who knows? Nuclear holocaust is possible too, produced by complete and utter stupidity, which really should be called unconsciousness. It's a more, uh, but really it's just unbelievable lack of awareness. And uh, if that needs to happen on a large scale, that humanity as a whole will produce events that bring about unbelievable suffering, then the remnant of humanity that is then left there's a possibility that awakening happens through realizing their own madness and then waking up. But hopefully it doesn't have to become that bad before more humans awaken. It's a good sign that we are here <laughs> because quite a few are awakening. And what else, only this can... <clears throat> Only this can save the world, not some little change in a political structure or a different political party or whatever, no, of course not. <laughs> so unconscious humans produce suffering for others, but also for themselves, and they have to suffer the consequences. That's, um, in some way, there is something that almost feels right on its own level when humans suffer the consequences, and many cases of humans who are in prison, they've done bad things. I mean, obviously some humans are in prison who are innocent, that happens too. But humans have done bad, and they awakened in prison. I've had many accounts, and I had actually, I'm still, it's in the plans of giving some talks in prison. We had to cancel some because of the pandemic and various other reasons. It had already been arranged for me to go to two prisons in California and give some talks there for those prisoners who want to attend, and quite a few apparently wanted. So I will still do it, um, God willing. I will give these talks to prison. Some humans have awakened. And I know from the correspondence I've had, there are some wonderful human beings in prisons Sometimes it's just a moment of unconsciousness and the entire life is gone. And they have awakened in seemingly very unpleasant surroundings. They have suddenly become aware of and transcended their own unconsciousness, their own patterns through the suffering. So that is, seems to be the law that um, the self-generated suffering, which is due to unconsciousness, brings about or has the potential of bringing about an awakening. So that's good then, you see, first of all, that they know not what they do. Can you forgive them 
Forgive means not to make an identity for them out of their unconscious actions. So to see that their true identity is beyond that, that is because that's the unconditioned consciousness of the being. And if they suffered enough, they might awaken. There's no guarantee that it'll happen in this lifetime. Then they go into another lifetime and suffer even more. But for the person who has these persistent thoughts about having been a, a victim, first, in order to transcend the conceptual identity of me as a victim, you have to go deeper into yourself. Yes, the emotions are still there, but depersonalize the emotions, realize what is in you is an emotional, an, an energy field of anger or resentment and or anger, so they are closely related. Resentment is a more of a mental thing and anger is more of an emotional, emotional thing. So there's resentment, anger, mental, emotional. So the resentment uh, might subside if you realize that no human can go beyond their level of consciousness and that's not who they actually are. The anger may not go immediately because that's been li living in you for quite a long time. There is in the, if you're able to go beyond the energy field of anger, which most likely is not continuously there because it, it arises, it subsides, it has periods when it comes up, you uh, relive something mentally and then the anger comes back. But you may be going for a walk out in nature and you're suddenly free of the anger because you don't remember any of that while you're looking at a beautiful tree or the sky or you're aware that you're breathing. Use those times when you, you cannot feel it and you're not remembering the past to go deeper into stillness that is within you, into become present feel the inner body that's beyond the emotional field and be, be present and become still, become aware what it is, what or who it is that you are, what you are, who you are. Are you the suffering entity that to a body, mind to whom that happened? Or is there a deeper place and that deeper place actually was never touched by anything that happened. So there is a place that's beyond the suffering of the person, beyond the emotion. Connect with that, with the being of yourself, become still, become alert. Feel yourself being the consciousness rather than the person. You are the consciousness that inhabits the person. The bad things happened to the person and all the things that are still living you belong to the person. You are the consciousness that is inhabiting that body, so to speak, temporarily. And if you go deep enough, that is the unconditioned consciousness. And on that level, that was never touched by anything 
bad that happened. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. And so the forgiveness then happens not through saying, okay, I should forgive you, I'll forgive you. That may not be quite it. Ultimately, forgiveness is the realization that there's nothing to forgive. So find your deep I, your deeper identity that's beyond the, all the memories and the emotional pain that happened. Find your deep identity. Go there, especially in times when no, you do not feel that turmoil. And see if you can become, stay rooted in that and then the conceptual identity of me as a victim will gradually or perhaps fairly quickly dissolve. It's become part of your ego, so it's very desirable to get rid of it. It does not mean that you abs any forgiveness does not mean you absolve this, the other person from, as I said, the suffering, the consequences of their unconsciousness but not, not through you anymore. So you break the chain of karma, but life does it. To observe karmic law on one level is quite, can be quite satisfying to people. Uh, it, it feels, that's how, these movies that they started making maybe in the 70s, but they're still popular, the kind of movies where you have incredibly bad people who do really awful things, killings and so on. And then the judicial system doesn't punish them for some reason because they have a good lawyer. And then they're back in the streets. And then there comes the vigilante. And uh, some actors specialize in that role. <laughs> and then they attribute justice and they kill them all. And, and people love watching these movies. <laughs> They're just waiting for the, for the karmic retribution. A more enlightened version of a movie like that would be, yes, these are dreadful, deeply unconscious humans, and they perpetrate th these acts of violence, and finally they are arrested, and they're put in prison for 
30 or 40 years and gradually in prison they, they suffer and suffer in the most horrible conditions and the moment comes where finally there's an awakening. Oh, then karma is fulfilled its function. Karma fulfills its function when it comes, to, when there is an awakening. In a way, um, karmic law is very important. It, it operates. It's described a lot in the Old Testament. An eye for an eye, etc. And then the New Testament points to the possibility of ending that. But it has, it's very useful. <laughs> um, this perhaps requires only a relatively brief answer, although you never know. <laughs> it's also a brief question. Lisa from Vermont asks, is there any useful purpose in terms of getting conscious to talk therapy or psychoanalysis? That's a good short question. Now, talking itself, obviously, is not going to get you there. But if the therapist is a good listener, something is possible. If the therapist is able to enter the state of pure awareness while you talk, then a transformation is possible. You talk for a while, you talk, and then the state of presence can extend itself, and you yourself become present while you're talking. Talking may be helpful up to a point because you may become conscious of a few things that you didn't know before. If the therapist is a conscious therapist, then the transformation is ultimately not produced by talking, but because you're sitting with somebody who embodies presence. And then something is possible. At some point, you have to stop talking. <laughs> if the therapist encourages talking for years, and some people go to a psychoanalyst for 10, 15, 20 years, and they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, then there's no end to it. And it becomes ever more complex and difficult. So talking can be helpful up to a point when it's no longer helpful, and then something else arises. There's a, an American, he's no longer alive, an American psychologist, psychotherapist, who is very, very helpful in that respect, Carl Rogers. And Carl Rogers um, teaches the state of unconditional non-judgmental listening on the part of the therapist. That's the main tool. And that works for sometimes, but it's not a technique. So you have to go, as a therapist, you have to go a little bit deeper. This is not, not a technique that you can learn. It's not a technique. You have to go deeper. It works beautifully when it's done rightly, which means there's presence. But there are even some psychoanalysts, which is very much a mental thing, psychoanalysis, Freudian. After a few years of sitting there and listening to their patients, they gradually apply their knowledge less and less. 
in their, what, their particular scheme, how they interpret things through their particular lens. And they gradually let go of that and they become a pure listener. And then intuition operates. The more the therapist or anybody, you don't have to be a therapist, the more you're able to be a pure listener, the more the possibility arises that your intuition will speak through you when you communicate with your patient, client, whatever you call it. When you communicate with your patient, if you are a pure listener, then whatever, you, whatever words come to you will arise out of that deep intuitive level of awareness. And sometimes, if you are a pure listener, the insight may not come through you, the insight may come through the, your patient. <coughs> because this, the state of presence has transmitted itself. There's an energy field of presence that surrounds you in the room and the, the patient becomes bound and suddenly the patient stops talking. He goes, oh. I tell the story somewhere in, a, in the book when I started many, many years ago when I started seeing people and being in presence with people, I couldn't explain much. I had no particular knowledge, but I, could, I was sitting with people in presence. And uh, something was happening, I didn't know what. Occasionally I would speak and gradually a kind of teaching arose that later became a book, but that took years. I said things I, I, I never knew that I ne never knew that I knew them. They came out of my mouth in presence in a particular situation. If I hadn't sat with this this particular person, nothing would have come. <coughs> but sometimes the insight came from them, also. And so, at the very early stages, for example, a woman was there, came to see me, and I was in the state of pure uh, uh, listening just like, so not a single thought, just taking in what she was saying, but not particularly thinking about it. She was just going in, something else was more important. And she pointed out to me, she stopped talking one day and said, her mind interpreted it in a particular way, and she said, oh, you are doing healing now. I said, what? <laughs> I, Yes, you're he I can feel it, you're healing me, I know it. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and because I was fairly ignorant at that point, I thought, oh, I'm a healer. <laughs> and then she told some other people and people started coming to me for physical healing. <laughs> a few got healed and some got healed, some didn't. And after a couple of years, I realized the limitations of when people only come to experience physical healing, it's not quite enough. Can you get rid of this, I have this pain in my knee, can you, get, can you take that away? I don't know. <laughs> and then I, I said, I'm no longer a healer. <laughs> <laughs> Healing is, of course, is a wonderful thing, but uh, the deepest healing is, of course, beyond the, the physical healing. It's the deepest healing is the healing of the human psyche. That to reconnect with being is the true healing. 
Then on another occasion, which I talk about in, I believe mentioned in a book at a similar time, that when I started to see people occasionally, there was a woman living downstairs, very gifted musician, who gave lessons in piano and so on. Uh, but I have to admit, a bit neurotic, uh, considerably ne neurotic in the conventional sense. <laughs> whenever, whenever you saw her in the street coming towards you, and uh, I was not the only one, many uh, remarked, when you saw her coming towards you, like, here comes trouble. <laughs> and, and invariably when she came, she would immediately complain about something what other people had just done to her. You, can you imagine what they did and said that it is? And of course, she had a bad suffering in her past. She had told me about this also terrible suffering. She escaped from Nazi Germany to England and terrible suffering. So all these accumulations lived in her. And one night, I was, it was 11, she rang my bell. I was up, she was downstairs. Can I come up? Something dreadful has happened to me. I need to talk to you immediately. No question of, are you asleep? Don't mind if I disturb you. <laughs> and then she came with a pile of papers, sat on my sofa. You know what the, the landlord, what he's just done to me, he's demanded that, uh, won't you take me to court? You must sign these, we must take a stand against, we, you must sign these documents, please sign them immediately. And I just, I just sat there. Oh. And she went on and on. And also a wonderful state of deep peace descended upon me. And she, after I don't know how long, 15 minutes of 20 minutes of talking, she suddenly stopped and said, this isn't important at all, is it? <laughs> that was an incredibly awakening. This isn't important at all, is it? I said, no, it isn't. <laughs> and then she was quiet for a few more minutes and then she left. Good night, thank you. That was very puzzling to me at that time. The next morning I saw her in the street and she was kind of back to her usual self. <laughs> so it was not a permanent awakening. <laughs> And she was a little bit suspicious. She said, what did you do to me last night? <laughs> <laughs> you did something, I don't know what. But last night, she said, for well, the first time in years, I slept like a baby. You did something to me. Did you hypnotize me? Or, I don't know, didn't do anything. <laughs> So um, forgiveness, recognition of unconsciousness that is not an identity, depersonalize the emotions that still live in you, don't attach them to a story, don't repeat the story, how, how do you get rid of the story? Take your attention, the moment the story arises, again the reliving of it, or the blaming and the accusing of it, Take your attention, realize it's, it's toxic and extremely unhelpful. Take attention away from thinking and put it into your body, into your breathing, for example. 
come to your senses. Whenever you recognize the, this mind pattern arising again, realize you don't need it anymore, you don't want it, it it's not your identity, it's, it's these are impersonal energy fields that still live in you, that's all. Oh, I've, that, was, that was the previous question. <laughs> it's all one anyway. So this was about uh, talking therapy and so on and so on. <laughs> Eventually the answer is always the same, of course, you might have noticed. Uh, but sometimes the road towards the same place may differ. You approach it from here, you approach it from there, you approach it from there, but in the end you arrive at the same place. Christine from Singapore asks, hello Singapore, hello. It's about the same temperature there as it is here. I was there once, and I believe every day throughout the year it's basically the same temperature. Hot, hot. I've been watching your videos since the pandemic, and it has helped me a lot in realizing I am not my thoughts and emotions. But recently I've been in this state where I'm feeling rather low and I can't seem to pick myself up from, from here. There are lots of old fears and worries rising up again and again and it's making me feel annoyed. It is as if a toddler throwing a tantrum in my mind, in my head. It's a nice way of putting it. A toddler throwing a tantrum in my head. I know that all things pass. During this phase I have experienced my deep presence which was filled with peace and joy. Do you have any tips on what it is that I can do or be to be okay with this constant rising of doubts and thoughts? I like the image of the toddler. With your permi permission, I may quote it in a future talk. <laughs> now, the interesting words here, I'm realizing I am not my thoughts. Okay, that's a good realization. The question is, is that realization still there when these turbulent thoughts arise? Or is it just, is it more an abstract realization? I'm not my thoughts, and then the thoughts come, and, and you are your thoughts, <laughs> because they take you over. Uh, so the question is, in the moment of these turbulent thoughts arising, are you able to know that you are not your thoughts? And that knowing is not a conceptual knowing because I am not my thoughts is a mental concept. So on that level it's easy to know that you are not your thoughts. But there is another deeper, direct and experiential knowing. And the question is whether that deeper experiential knowing that you are not your thoughts is there while the thoughts happen. The concept, I am not my thoughts, does not help you when these thoughts arise, the turbulent, then the toddler throws the tantrum. Then 
no concept can help you. So the knowledge or the, that you are not your thoughts need to move from conceptual to a deeper place. There are two ways of knowing anything. One is through concepts, the other one is through awareness. This applies to anything, it applies not just to your thoughts, it applies to anything that you know. You can know, let's say, a tree or a flower, one of a cactus, since we're here. You can know it conceptually through saying things about it, knowing things about it, what the, its name and so on. And or you can know it without words. You're looking at it or you touch it, not the cactus, hopefully. <laughs> You're looking at it and not just for a second, but for a little longer, you let its presence speak to you, not, not through words. You can sense the inherent aliveness in any life form, a flower, a tree, whatever it may be, and you look at it and there's something there that is transcends the mere sensory perception. You can sense that deep within, you can sense the, the flower too is present, but not in the same way that you are present. There's a consciousness that expresses itself through the one consciousness, expresses itself as the flower. And so you know the flower beyond concept. And when you only apply concepts, you only, do, you only know the surface of the flower, the surface phenomenon of the flower. The same with thoughts. While the thoughts arise, do you know you're not your thoughts? Are you able, in other words, are you able to be the awareness even to your turbulent thoughts and realizing they are my turbulent thoughts? I'm verbalizing it now, but when you realize it is not verbal, so you, you know these are my turbulent thoughts without saying these are my turbulent thoughts. So you're simply in the background of your turbulent thoughts. And if you have to, hang on to some part of your inner body and you feel the aliveness in your hand or your feet or your legs and be, stay present. And there the thoughts come like a little storm or a tornado. A toddler throwing a tantrum, that works well too because toddlers can throw terrible tantrums. <laughs> some, some little children already have a pain body. You can see it, perhaps from another lifetime. It doesn't mean that they are less spiritual. In fact, the stronger your pain body is, the more likely it is that eventually you will awaken because you can't stand it anymore. That was the case with me too. So. Knowing that you are not your thoughts on a conceptual level is good, but are you able to know it while it happens, while the turbulence happens? And you are. So that's the key. And again, as I say to many other people, practice while you're not tortured by the mental turbulence in good times. Invite presence into your life in good times, practice presence in good times, so that when you're being challenged, either externally or internally, presence 
is sufficiently strong for you not to get a completely identified with whatever turbulence arises externally or internally. You could even, as a, it sounds a little strange, as a little practice, set aside a few minutes and say, I don't know if it'll work, you can try it. I'm going to invite turbulent thoughts, I'm going to invite this, this toddler and see what he does. Try to think turbulent thoughts, it may not work or it may work, and see if they can stay present. Another thing that is, might be helpful, these, the influx of turbulent thoughts, at some point it starts, at some point they begin to rise. Be very conscious and are you able to detect the beginning of the influx of mental turbulence, mental emotional turbulence? Are you able to catch it at the, at, at the beginning stage? And then it may not actually arise fully anymore. If you catch it early, be alert and it's, oh, there it is. Another question you may ask yourself, this influx of turbulent thoughts, does that, is that sometimes triggered by a particular event that is external or not? Maybe yes, maybe not. Is it when your, your energy is low? I believe you mentioned some low energy here. Uh, yes, I've been in this state where I'm feeling rather low and I can't seem to pick myself up from there. It could be that when, when you feel low, there's also less awareness in you. And so then the turbulence, which is probably to do with your pain body, the turbulence comes in when there is diminished awareness in you. So be particularly alert when there is, uh, when you feel physically at a low, a low energy level. You can still be alert though. Very interesting practice. The knowing non-conceptually is of course part of the awakening into awareness when you have the two modalities of knowing. I sometimes call that unitive knowing because conceptual knowing creates a barrier between you and that which is known through concepts. It keeps a barrier between you, you and the other human being. When you conceptualize, we talked about it earlier, when you conceptualize another human being, you form a, images in concept about who he or she is, and then you relate through the screen of conceptualization. So that is not helpful, that it creates separation between you and the other. Unitive knowing is to recognize and to to know the other directly, not through concepts. And the strange thing is you can have both. It's not necessarily a question of either one or the other. You can have certain concepts and ideas about another person or, or anything, and yet at the same time not be totally confined to your set of concepts that you have about the other person. There may be beautiful moments when these concepts don't op operate and you're, you're able to commune with that person without concepts. So the, the concepts may be there, but you're not trapped in them. You may know certain things about a person, uh, 
perhaps about their certain behavior patterns in another person, and you know this person tends to do this kind of thing. He tends to, maybe he tends to lie occasionally, or quite often, he's done it many times. And yet, you are not trapped in a mental concept that says, he's a liar, and that's all there is to him. He's a liar. Yes, he lies sometimes, but there's more to that human being, and it's a pattern that operates in him, a pattern of unconsciousness. But you're not trapped, you don't trap yourself and trap him or her in that conceptual reality, because that's all, all you ever made after that, a liar, <laughs> not a human being. And that's only one example of many ways in which you can conceptualize another person. He's an oppressor. I am the oppressed. You wear glasses, you must be an oppressor. You're Cambodia, crazy, crazy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation and you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.